0: John 3. When I started rereading this text over the last couple of weeks, I thought of famous things, especially things that are the most famous in their category. So think like Mona Lisa, right? Probably the most famous painting, or Romeo and Juliet, one of the most famous plays, or the Beatles, one of the most famous bands. And the reason I was thinking this way about all these things is because here in John 3, we have something in that type of a category. We have the most famous conversation in human history. John 3 records for us the outstanding conversation, the most prominent, the most preeminent, the most famous conversation to ever take place. Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospels, if you read them all together, had contact with right at 132 people, right? So that's all, and there's more, but that's what we have written. We see him talk to 132 people, if you count it all up. And only a handful of those contacts are long form conversations. And most of those long-form conversations, not all of them, but a good chunk of them are in John. John records more like kind of per capita of these long-form conversations that Jesus has. And this conversation that he records is the most famous one for good reason as well, because this conversation... Changed the world, right? This conversation has changed millions, billions of lives. It is an interesting, I mean, it's a fascinating, one-of-a-kind conversation for a number of reasons. I mean, one is it just takes a bunch of twists and turns. I mean, verse 2 to 3 is the, the first one. We'll look at, but there's others as well. Additionally, it's just who's having the conversation uh, from a kind of a human view for a second, if you will, is two people who have read the same Bible, who've dedicated themselves to the same Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, and they have come up with vastly different ideas of what the God of the Bible is doing in the world today. One of the two people, everybody considers reasonable. In fact, he he might be the most reasonable man they got. And yet, this reasonable man in the conversation is not thinking straight. And the other man, a lot of people consider unreasonable. Maybe the most unreasonable man in the world at that time. We know it's just that he's beyond human reason. But this unreasonable man to the crowd Is now instructing the reasonable man. He's helping the reasonable man think straight. It's just an interesting thing. The reasonable man is a guy named Nicodemus. He's introduced to us in verse 1 of John 3. John is the only one of the gospel writers who speaks of Nicodemus. And I want you to know this that John writes about Nicodemus in a positive light. Okay, so we're not dogging on Nicodemus. We're not you know, trolling Nicodemus, trashing Nicodemus. John actually is pro-Nicodemus overall. The few times he's mentioned in John's gospel, we see that Nicodemus is sincerely, though at this point ineffectively, but he's sincerely coming towards Jesus. And by the end of the book, you're almost led to believe that he really does believe in Jesus. In fact, that's what most people think John is pointing out, that he over time comes to Christ. So he's in John. He's shown in a favorable light. And he's a fascinating character because of at least three things. One, he's a Pharisee. So he's the strictest form of Judaism. He embraces the strictest form of Judaism. He's also a member of the Sanhedrin. You say, what's the Sanhedrin? Great question. Uh, Essentially, he was on the Supreme Court for Israel. So he's high level official. Maybe the highest level official, because it tells us in John 3 that this guy was the teacher of Israel, the Bible teacher of Israel. In other words, when there's a question about how the Bible should be interpreted, yeah, you got to ask Nicodemus for the final answer on that. He's the authority on how we interpret the law because he has known the Bible so well for so long. Nicodemus represents the best man has to offer, The man who takes things beyond human reason, that at this point people think is a little unreasonable, that man, he takes things into the supernatural, he's Jesus. And so far to Nicodemus, Jesus is at least three things. In, in Nicodemus' view at this point in history, Jesus, A, he's the guy who flipped the tables the other day in the temple, Now, this is kind of a curious thing. I looked into this. Why is, you know, the temple, Nicodemus would have been a big part in leading the temple. Why isn't he having Jesus arrested? Well, Nicodemus, it turns out, he might have been a fan of the flipping of the tables of the temple. And the scholars, there's a couple suggestions out there. One is that at this time period, apparently the Sadducees were in charge of the temple. And the Pharisees loved it when the Sadducees looked bad. And so flipping the tables and calling them all out, that was a kind of a score for the Pharisees. So Nicodemus is actually pro-flipping the tables at this time, possibly, okay? Because he's not coming to Jesus saying, why would you ever do that? He's coming to say, hey, you're good, you're good. So he's the guy who flipped the tables. He knows that Jesus is a teacher, and he knows that Jesus can do miracles. Now, we, on this side of history, looking back, we know Jesus is the best God has to offer. So we got the best man and the best God. We got the best man has to offer and the best God has to offer. But you have to understand, Nicodemus doesn't know that yet. You have to kind of put yourself there that night of that conversation. He doesn't get what we get. He doesn't know that this is the God man. Jesus is the Messiah, the savior of mankind, the lamb, the source of eternal life, right? So you've got to cut Nicodemus some slack as he rolls into misunderstanding, right? He, he, see, he doesn't yet realize that Jesus isn't here to give the proper interpretation of the Bible. Jesus is the proper interpretation of the Bible. Nicodemus, he doesn't get that yet. He doesn't know that yet. But this conversation is the conversation where he starts to unravel that and figure that out. In this text, we see Nicodemus talking with Jesus. He comes to Jesus by night because, of course, he can't risk his reputation. The shame of setting up an appointment with a carpenter is not a Pharisee. He's not prestigious or political. Can't bear it. But Nicodemus, he is interested because he saw the miracles. The Bible tells us that Jesus was healing people at the Passover after he flipped the tables. Nicodemus is privy to this. He's amazed by this. In fact, he's probably spent the last few nights of the Passover talking with his Pharisee Sanhedrin brothers and they're debating on whether Jesus is a good guy or a bad guy or what Jesus is really doing or wh- where he fits into the plan that they have for Jerusalem. What do we make of this guy? I mean, they've probably been talking about Jesus, these Pharisee leaders like cuz I mean they they just he's so peculiar and he's so intriguing and he is so offensive and yet so compelling. And at some point, I kind of just imagine that Nicodemus is done debating with his buddies. He's like, I'm in charge here, right? I'm Nicodemus, right? Apparently the name Nicodemus, the root word of it is this Greek idea or whatever. That is the word for Nike, like your shoes, like it means victory. So this is a guy, he's like, I'm, I'm Nicodemus. I'm, I am Nike, right? Like I will cross this finish line. I am, I, I can do this. I'm going to go just see what he has to say. And so he comes to Jesus and Jesus is always down to talk, especially to a seeker. And so the most famous conversation in the history of the world ensues. Now, there is a third person in this conversation. This is interesting because that third person in the conversation is you. I know you're not explicitly mentioned there? Like, oh, and by the way, there was a bench nearby and Doug was sitting on it. Like, no, I know you're not in there, but you're in there, right? There's a third party here and it's us, the ones who will peer into and read this conversation for the rest of time. And by the way, that just puts us in an interesting position. I mean, it's just interesting where we are because it is clear, basically you and me, we're involved and we're meant to be involved as eavesdroppers, which from what I hear is typically rude. But in this case, it's actually invited. It's almost like as you read John 3, Jesus is talking in such a way that he hopes you will eavesdrop in. It's totally mind-blowing that it's from overhearing this most famous conversation that you learn the most important truth. In all of human history, the most famous conversation in all of human history contains the most important truth of all history the gospel. Born again key phrase in John three. I mean, this is just an amazing thing for, I mean, just think about this. Where do we learn the gospel? It is actually not from a lecturer or a PowerPoint or some straightforward explanation with the model. You know, the scientific method is not involved in this thing. How do you learn the gospel? Where do you learn about being born again? It's from overhearing an ancient conversation. Isn't that amazing? You to hear the gospel through eavesdropping in on Jesus and Nicodemus. As I realized this, a very big question came up for me. Like, what's my job here as a pastor? Like, how am I supposed to take this conversation that happened between two people 2,000 years ago and tell you all how to be born again? Because really, as I come up with these ideas for sermons, it's just like I'm just repeating what Nicodemus said, then I'm repeating what Jesus said, and, and honestly, you guys can just read it. Right? Like, what am I up here for? How can I even really help? It was an existential crisis I faced for the last couple of weeks, really. So y'all pray for me. So, as bizarre as it is, Here's what I came up with. Essentially, I think my role for this morning, it's going to be weird, you'll be all right, is to sort of act like I'm a moderator or a mediator or an interpreter between Jesus and Nicodemus. Like I'll be for just a minute the middleman between Jesus and Nicodemus while you guys eavesdrop like you were meant to. And I hope and I think it'll help us understand the most famous conversation in human history and the most important truth of human history. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna get out a couple chairs, okay? You'll never forget this weird day at church. Welcome to Griggs. If this is your first time, we don't do it this way all the time. But I'm getting some chairs. Getting a little artistic here. I went to a play on Friday night, so I've just gotten inspired about how to do this, okay? This is Jesus' chair. He's part of the conversation. Jesus sitting here, so you got to think. Jewish guy uh, at this time period. Average height was 5'2". I, I know in your mind, Jesus is a tall white guy. Probably not true. Short Jewish guy, okay? Different guy. He's unkept with his beard because he's a poor traveling man. He's wearing shabby clothing, okay? And then you got Nicodemus's chair. In fact, he's probably offended by this chair because it's not fancy enough, okay? Nicodemus is the type of guy, you think he's got like the spiritual nightgown on is what I call it, right? Heavenly robes, a well-kept beard. He's an older guy, older age. That's how, you know, he's gotten so far, like being on the Supreme Court and such. Nicodemus is sent here. He's the guy, he's the kind of guy who's got a religious hat, okay? You know, when you get a religious hat, you have arrived, right? We're Protestants, we don't get hats. It's probably good, but a lot of the religious people—they give you a, just the, the more awesome you are, the more intense the hat. Have you noticed this? So he's got the hat, the religious hat. It makes him very, very prestigious. Okay. And so between these two, there's going to be a conversation, and I sort of want to try to just kind of interpret and moderate, kind of be the middleman for a second. And I'm doing it for you. Say, so is that going to work? I don't know, but let's try it. Let's see if this helps. John 3, 1 and 2. John 3, 1 and 2. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these things, these signs that you do, unless God is with him. Okay, so Jesus... This is Nicodemus, Nico for short, however you wanna say it. Nicodemus here, he's trying to be respectful. Right? He has called you rabbi, even though you don't have any rabbinical training, and that's a huge deal to him. Right? He's super into titles. I know you're not super into titles. You call yourself the son of man more than anything else, um, and you could call yourself king of kings. He loves titles, and he's giving you one, even though he usually doesn't give people one. And he recognizes that you're good, Jesus. Like his colleagues think you're a menace to society. He doesn't think that. He knows you're up to something good. So Jesus, he is actually coming to you in a posture of humility. And he clearly, he just wants to hear what you have to say for yourself. We've been debating who you might be, what you might be, what you might be doing. So Jesus, this is your chance. Talk about yourself. Clarify some things for him. What do you got to say about God? What do you got to say about Israel? What do you have to say? You want to tell him, hey, I'm from Judah. What tribe are you from? You want to say what your childhood was like, where you grew up. You want to review the whole water into wine thing that happened a few weeks ago. People are talking about that, Jesus. What do you want to say? How would you like to start? Verse three. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay. That is kind of an unmatched response, right? Like, hey, you're a good guy, Jesus. You can't even see the kingdom. Like, whoa, Jesus throwing down, right? So Nicodemus, apparently, step by eye, Jesus not super into small talk right now, not super flattered, that you came to see him and that you approve of him. Doesn't really need that. Cause he knows really what you want deep down, Nico there. Yeah. It, it, you want to get an answer about Jesus so that you can go back to life as usual. And that is not the agenda of Jesus because see, you're trying to solve him like a puzzle. So your mind is more comfortable so that you can put him in a category, but Jesus here is saying that your categories are fundamentally flawed. They're so flawed, you don't even know that you don't even know what you're talking about. He knows, you're trying to figure out where he, Jesus, fits in the kingdom, but it turns out, and I know this is offensive, but Nic- Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom, right? So he does not want you to go on as life is, with life as usual. Your internal world, Nicodemus, is so distorted. And I know, I know, you're the best man has to offer. But your internal world is so distorted that it needs to be completely restarted. Unplug it, plug it back in, essentially. Like, if you're really going to understand God, the God you've spent your whole life studying, if you're gonna understand what it means to be Israel, the people of God, where you've spent your whole life living, If you're going to understand ministry, which you've spent your whole life doing, everything inside of you actually needs to be washed away and you need to start all the way over. You need a brand new life. You need to be born again. So, Nicodemus, what's your reply? What do you have to say? Verse four. Nicodemus replies, "Um, how can a man... Be born when he's old, like me. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Okay, so Jesus, kind of an awkward medical question here. Uh, I don't know. you guys. It's just kind of an awkward question, but here's the idea. Um, honestly, Nicodemus here is really just really taken back by your statement. Um, and so he's being a little bit, he's almost being facetious. You see, Jesus, Nicodemus has lived what many people consider the best possible life, right? He is a Pharisee. So he has kept rules on the rules to make sure he doesn't break the rules. He is in the Sanhedrin, which means he's respected. is a respected, you see the hat? It's a big hat. You don't get that hat by doing nothing. He's in the Sanhedrin doing great. He is uh, the teacher of Israel because of his studies and everybody considers him to be blessed by God. The best a man can be blessed. He's got prestige and he's got influence and he has got political power and, uh, and he has got position in the temple and he has got, he's got wealth and health. This is actually <laughs> the best life a man can have and you're here and you're kind of saying, it's not good enough it's not good enough. So he's like, well, what do you want him to do? Do you want him to go back to his poor mother's house and be raised again like a toddler so he can go back through life and fix maybe the few mistakes that he has made, which he admits to, right? Like, do you want him to kind of take this great life and do it just a little bit better? The best life plus one, just a little bit better. Is that what you are saying? Because honestly, he's just a little bit taken back Jesus that you're not super impressed. Like he thought you'd be like really thankful that he came to talk to you and that you would consider it a sign that you're doing good because such important people are looking to chat. And he thought you would really want to hear his perspective, not just bust out this idea that he needs a whole new perspective. His perspective is sought out by all in Israel. And here you're saying it needs to be fully redone. What do you want me to tell him for you, Jesus? Verses five through eight. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes... And you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. Alrighty then. So Nicodemus, essentially Jesus is doubling down, but he is going to elaborate a little bit because he can tell that you are concerned, that you genuinely do want to understand you are struggling, but are open to the fact that he might be right. So here's what he has to say. No, you do not have to go back into your mother's womb. In fact, the next time you speak on scripture that's gonna be recorded for eons, please do not ask such a weird question because we have to talk about this in church for millennia to come, okay? You do have to be born of water, but you also have to be born of the spirit. So yes, when your mother's water broke and you came into the world, you were born naturally, you were made in the image of God. Nicodemus, that is who is eligible for the kingdom, right? You're not an animal, you're not an angel, you're a human being. So gold star on the chore chart, you got the first step done, good work. The natural side of you, the outside of you has been born. But now, Now the spiritual side of you, the inside of you needs to be supernaturally reborn. Just like your mom was the only one who could give you physical life, God is the only one who can give you a spiritual life. This is something only God can do. The responsibility is all his. It's a work that the Holy Spirit does by his sheer grace, which I know is very complicated for you, It's kind of against everything you've ever thought, everything you've been thinking. Because the truth is, Nicodemus, you are thinking that the plan of God, the kingdom of God is something to be achieved. Like Nicodemus, like what you're thinking is that if Israel will just be the best Israel it can be, God would be content. And if the temple could just be the best temple it could be, God would be content. And if people like you could just be the best you could be, the best version of yourself, God would be content. But here's the truth is that on Israel's best day, it's a city of sin. And on the temple's best day, it's sinners entering into it. And on your best day, you're a sinner, right? This is, this is broken. You are culpable. You can be destroyed. You can fail and mar the image of God, That you're created in. So it's not that we need a better temple and a better version of Israel, and for you to be a better man. We don't need this sinful world to become the best sinful world it can be. We actually need a whole new world. We need a new heavens and a new earth. We need we need a place where there's a new Jerusalem where sin is no more, and thus neither is death or crying or sin or pain or sorrow, a place where all tears are wiped away from our eyes. And to enter into such a place that is so needed, not only does it have to be made new, you yourself have to be made brand new. We need a new you, not a better you by your works, but a brand new creation through God's work. The truth is the kingdom cannot be achieved. It can only be received. He does it all for you, without your help, without your work, in spite of all your shortcomings and sins, no matter how bad they are. And it kind of makes you marvel, doesn't it? Jesus can tell you're marveling. That's why he says, marvel not, right? Marvel not what I said unto you. No more marveling, Nicodemus. We're gonna need all marveling to come to a halt. Stop that right? Because you can understand this. Receiving a brand new life, a brand new heart, being born again, it's like the wind, right? You don't control the wind. You don't produce the wind. You don't make the wind bow down to your will. You bow down to its will, right? You can't achieve the wind. The wind is produced from outside of you, and then it comes to you, and you feel and you hear the wind. You feel the breeze across your face. What you do with the wind is that it comes where it wants. It flows to you and you receive it. You receive the wind. And it's the same thing in becoming born again in a brand new creation, a brand new human that can enter the kingdom of God that's here and that's always forthcoming. The kingdom that Jesus is bringing where the blind see and the sick are healed and the dead are raised. It's a gift that you receive, a gift from God that you cannot earn, you cannot produce. It comes from outside of you. You do not achieve it. You receive it. So, Nicodemus, what do you have to say? Verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? This is actually the last time Nicodemus speaks in the conversation. How can these things be? So Jesus, he's struggling here in this conversation because his whole way of thinking, his whole way of life, all his hopes and dreams are essentially on the chopping block if he admits that you're right. But he has a sense that you are right. But at the same time, he doesn't really get it. I mean, he doesn't really believe it totally because the question is for him, Jesus, is how can God be so holy that he gives us the law of Moses, but then he just forgives and forgets on people who totally break the law of Moses? And like, how can God be so wrathful like in the old testament we see him take down entire cities for their sin and you're saying that he's just going to recreate sinless hearts inside of people a new nature a new life in a sinless place one day just he's just going to give it to them and they receive it like how does that honor him so i think what we see here jesus is nicodemus gets that there's some mercy in that but he's really struggling because what does that mean for the law and for striving and for religion and for the temple and for doing your best and being better than the other nations at all the rules that we keep? And what does that mean for his whole, whole lifestyle? He doesn't see how it honors God. He doesn't see how there's justice and righteousness in it. So as we close out this part of the conversation, would you want to just end, Jesus, with clarifying your thoughts So this thoroughly distraught theologian can eventually meet the God that he proclaims. Like, why can he trust you? How does this make any sense? And here's what Jesus has to say. Verse 10. Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel? And you do not know these things. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. We testify what we have seen, but you don't receive what I've seen. You don't receive our witness. And I have told you earthly things and you don't believe. So how are you gonna believe if I move on, go on and explain more and tell you heavenly things? You know, no one's ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who was in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man, must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will be reborn. They will not perish with this kingdom, but will have everlasting life in this new kingdom we're talking about. So, Nicodemus, a couple of things here. Okay? First, you're the teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things. That's a little bit of a dig, but you kind of deserve it, okay? Because you've been reading the Bible your whole life, and you have not emphasized what the Bible emphasizes, right? You've emphasized the old covenant and tweaking it to make it even more and more pure, tweaking it to make it just a little bit less, a little bit more intense, a little bit more rules, a little bit more regulation. You've been trying to tweak that your whole life. And you've ignored Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah who say the old covenant will be gone away and there's a whole new covenant coming where there will be a new birth, where really God is going to take the law and just write it on your heart so you don't follow a list of rules. You just follow him in relationship. And and that you don't go to the temple, but you become the temple. And the Holy Spirit actually comes to dwell inside of you and take away that stone heart and give you a brand new heart, a heart of flesh. You see, Jesus is telling you what's been in the Bible you've been reading for hundreds and hundreds of years. And Jesus is just telling you what, He knows. But he can't really elaborate Nicodemus much further because this is just the beginning. Being born again is the front door of sorts. Like, you're just hearing earthly things and you're about to have a cardiac event. Right? Like, if Jesus goes on to tell you heavenly things, like, oh my word, if he tells you about the resurrection or get this, Gentiles are going to heaven, I know. All right. Take your medication, right? One day we're not even going to do the temple, we're all just going to do this worldwide church. Yeah, I know, right? You can't handle it? You're about to have a stroke? We'll stop there. But he can't go into heavenly things right now. You're just not ready. But you can rest assured that what he has told you, he knows what he's talking about. You know how you and your friends, Nicodemus, you guys joke about, think about, dream about ascending to heaven and talking with God face to face, then coming down and teaching the masses. Well, no man can do that. But something better has happened so much better god came down and spoke with you and is speaking with you face to face so that you can go teach the masses god came down from heaven this is he jesus christ is the son of man that daniel prophesied would come he has come from heaven so he is qualified to tell you how to get to heaven <laughs> he has come To sit here in the spring air with you, face to face. And he's ready to answer that question. How can these things be? Here's his answer, right? How can God just forgive sin? this holy God, how can he just put his holy spirit inside of unholy people so that they become new creations? How can he do that and be just and good and righteous and holy? Well, since you love the Torah so much, Jesus wants you, Nico, turn to Numbers 21. Do you have your pocket scroll from the Gideons, right? Do you have your, uh, is your scroll on your phone? Turn to Numbers 21. In fact, why don't we all do it? Everyone, even as we listen in to this conversation, let's all turn on our pocket scroll to Numbers 21. Amazing story. It's an old one, but a good one. Here it starts in verse four. Numbers 21, four. Then they journeyed from Mount Har by the way of the Red Sea, the people of Israel in the wilderness, to go around the land of Edom, And the soul of the people became very weary, discouraged along the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water and our soul loathes this worthless bread. The manna falling from heaven. We hate it. We hate it. So for you, when you give your kids food and they throw it on the ground, they hate it, right? Even though you went to all this to prepare it for them, God knows what that feels like, right? These are like kids in their high chairs just tossing their broccoli. We hate this manna, this worthless food. Fascinating, verse six. So the Lord said, oh, you don't want me to send manna? Here we go. Lord sent fiery serpents. Don't try that with your kids, okay? Among the people, And they bit the people and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses. They're confessing their sins. They said, we've sinned for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he might take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and he put it on a pole. And so it was, if the serpent had bitten anyone, when they looked on the bronze serpent, they lived. So Jesus wanted you to read this again, Nicodemus. In fact, he wants all of us to remember this story. Because it's a really good illustration of how God can be just and give you a second chance. You see, Nicodemus, you are right, right? We're the worst. We gripe and we complain and we curse the God who made us. We have been bitten by the serpent. That serpent from back in the garden, he bites us and tricks us and he trips us up. And the wages of all of this, the wages of our sin is death. But just like Moses made a serpent, he made a bronze serpent and lifted it up. Jesus here is he who knew no sin, who became sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus here, Nicodemus, is going to be lifted up on a Roman cross and whoever looks to him with that look of faith, whoever believes in him will not die from the serpent bite. In fact, the serpent's head will be crushed for every believer and they will live forever. Your problem, Nicodemus, it's valid. How can a bad man be made good with God for free? Jesus is actually going to pay the bill. And I know, how can a sinner, right, it's confusing. How can a sinner be reborn instantly into a saint? Essentially, Jesus is gonna take the entire punishment and wipe their slate clean when he's lifted up on the cross. And I know what you're thinking, Nicodemus. It's the same thing you guys the listeners are thinking same thing. Some of you right here at Griggs, two thousand years later, hearing the conversation, are thinking, "Why would he do it? Why would he do that? Why would God do that?" And the next verse actually answers the question. Verse sixteen: It turns out the answer is just love. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Here's where I want to switch from being the moderator, pretending to be some interpreter between the two. And I just want to talk to all of us here at Griggs this morning for a second. I told you this is the most famous conversation in all of human history. This verse is the crux of it. John 3:16, the most famous conversation, the most famous verse in all of human history. John 3:16 blankets every generation. In fact, 2009, one example of it, football player, Tim Tebow, couldn't tell you who he is. I haven't watched football ever except for this one halftime. Anyway, the point is, I don't know who, what, what's going on with football, but he's a football player. Was in a big game. He put black stuff under his eyes. Don't know why. Um, in there, he wrote John 3:16. And during the championship game, you probably have heard this story. 94 million people Googled John 3:16. It just blankets every generation. It just keeps coming back. It keeps coming up. This is the verse that will not go away. This is the verse of verses. It is everywhere. It is always, it is constant. In Christian places and even sometimes in non-Christian places, it is the verse you cannot escape if you're living on earth. 94 million people Googled it in one night. And that's a great thing because this verse, like the rest of this conversation, contains the greatest truth in all of human history. And that truth is this, you, you, Griggs, you, your ultimate need is not to become the best version of yourself. You cannot achieve life. That is not what the Bible is about. What you need is a brand new self. You need grace. You need to receive life. And that life, John 1 tells us, is a person. And his name is Jesus. That is what the Bible is all about. The new creation, the new heavens, the new earth, the kingdom of God, kingdom life is starting now. Before he creates a new heaven, a new earth, he is creating a new people to enter it. And you're invited to be one of those brand new people with a brand new life who enters one day a new heavens and a new earth. To live like you were made to live. You are invited to love God and love your neighbor, to walk with God in the cool of the day, and cultivate the world by serving others. But like our friend Nicodemus here, who has to go, he has been schooled for a second, you're going to have to do what he's got to do, and that you are going to have to let all of your human reasonableness be blown up, and you have to accept something beyond human reason, and that is the love of God. You're going to have to let all your categories, whatever they might be, be totally blown up. You can no longer think of yourself as a good person or a bad person, but a brand new person. You have to abandon all the things, all the things you find your identity in, as innocent as some of them might be. And you have to let Jesus give you a brand new identity, his identity. You have to confess your sins and look to the one who was lifted up for your salvation. Instead of performing, it is all about trusting Jesus, and you can trust him and be made new because he so loved the world. He so loved you. He so loved Griggs. He so loved Mitch Miller that he gave his only begotten son. So believe in him and have eternal life. We've looked at Jesus' chair, looked at Nicodemus' chair, and I'm looking, looking at our chairs Because the truth is, we are all still having this conversation with Jesus. This is, in essence, the conversation everyone who has ever lived has to have with Jesus. This is the conversation of life, the conversation of the world over with its creator. You must be born again and live in the kingdom of God now and forever. And the question is are you going to end this conversation with how can these things be and go back to life as usual? Or are you going to end this conversation with I believe and follow Jesus wherever he goes? Pray today that God would change your life and give you a brand new life. He's done this for me when I was 17. I was one guy and now I'm another. And there has been a great metamorphosis and change. Not, well, for me it was a little bit overnight, but also over time. Seek that new birth that most of us, many of us in this room have enjoyed and enjoy that new birth as you await a new heavens and a new earth, as you await all things being made new. This is the most famous conversation in the history of the world and it teaches us the most important truth in the history of the world. So believe in this truth. If you need to come to the altar to pray and accept Christ, please do. It's open, but we are just gonna sing. You can also pray right where you're sitting, however long you want, and about whatever you want in response to John 3. Musicians, come on up while I pray, and let's just worship.